Welcome to Radio Cachimbona. This is Yvette, and this is episode 7. Radio Cachimbona is a podcast hosted by one Salvatorian, that's a Salvadoran tourist, growing, healing, and storytelling in Southern Arizona. I'm here to storytell the fierce, ongoing resistance occurring in these borderlands and centering Central American voices. Today, I'm really excited to be interviewing Denise Rebel, who's a Tucson native that was really active in the activism to keep ethnic studies present in the public school curriculum in Tucson. And she also currently works in deportation defense. So Denise, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly before we get started? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, my name is Denise Rebel. I am a Tucsonan, so native of Tucson. Lived here all my life, grew up here, child of migrant parents. My, my mom actually recently became a citizen, like Yay! just yesterday. Uh, it's really hard to do that. And I was very involved in the Mexican-American Studies movement, which is also known as MAS, um, to defend and protect them and keep them in the TUSD a school district, so the Tucson Unified School District. Fought from senior of high school and onward and a little before as well. Cool. So can you tell me about your experience taking the Mexican-American Studies classes? Because you said that you did them for a year and that that was what inspired your activism. So can you tell us what it was like to have those classes? Yes, yeah, so I so I actually took them my junior and senior year. Okay. So they offered a Mexican American literature course while I was there, and they also offered a Mexican American government course, so the perspective of government through uh, Mexican American studies and just how people looked at government through a Mexican American lens. Um, so those are the two courses I took my junior and senior year of high school, and I heard of, I heard about these courses because of my brother who took them before me. Okay. Um, so they were very well known in the district, and many Mexican American students would take them to, to really learn a lot about their culture and history. Because I think before then we weren't really exposed to how Mexican American people have an impact to the United States, or if yeah. any. Yeah. Um, so that was very, I think, in its own way, radical to like learn about how we've contributed um, historically to the United States. So I heard about them to my brother. Um, I decided to take them um, my junior and senior year. And it, I think, completely radicalized me because I was, I realized like this is the first time I'm learning about my roots, my culture, my language. Obviously, like what you learn at home, obviously, is a form of knowledge and history Mm -hmm. and things like that. But in the school system, I feel like it creates a sort of like a more of like a worth, unfortunately. Like Mm -hmm. if it's not taught in the schools, it seems like it's not valued as relevant education mm-hmm. or as important to it's not the academic exactly it's not an academic enough so it was nice to be able to be in a class where there were other students too who were having the same kind of kind of like awakening to learn about their culture and the impacts this is like the first time like i saw people starting to like think about how they can contribute to their communities as well and found their voices and we started learning about kind of looking through the world in a critical lens I think there are a lot of concepts that you don't learn until you go to college. So I thought it was very beyond its time for high school anyway. And where I think we just kind of are given like the banking education kind of concept of, you know, absorb all the information you can and then just kind of revert it right back to your teacher. So it was a lot of intake the education and I want you to analyze it and research it and really come back and kind of battle with me and debate to make sure this is really the, the, the best thought process for the issue. Mm. So I think it was just like, finding out a new way to learn and to to really engage with education it was is much different than other courses that I took so I think in that form it impacted me and there were also like a divert diverse forms of education we learned so I saw Malcolm X posters on the walls um, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of 
Aztec philosophy incorporated into the, um, the uh, curriculum. Um, we talked about the Tezcalipocas, which were put uh, all around the class, and we learned about those concepts. We learned about the Aztec calendar. So a lot of like really indigenous forms of knowledge that mm-hmm. I think are not considered relevant to like I think the the modern American education system. So I think in that sense it was like a very radical class. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very important for this community that is a predominantly populated area that for Mexican people, mm-hmm. there it's getting it's becoming more and more diverse. So I think that education yeah. needs to transform with that change and mm-hmm. incorporate other forms of, of perspectives. So I think in that time period, it was extremely helpful for people in the community to feel like they can have ownership over change in their own communities. So would you say that the curriculum was one that was pro Aslan. Yes, definitely. How do you feel about that? I mean, I I didn't know until I took these courses that Mexico used to own part of California mm-hmm. and Arizona and Nevada mm-hmm. and Texas. Like that was like I just blew my mind that that basically the United States took this huge section of land in a very very messed really up way unequal, yeah very, very equal bargain exactly to you know the constant there's a total power imbalance. yeah to definitely total power imbalance so i think the concept of Aslan can be interpreted in many ways but i think it's just for me when i when i learned about that it was more like not forgetting um your your origins and like where we've come from and, and everything that it took for our people to get to the point that we're at I don't know what it means to go back to Aslan. I think that's like very theoretical and like what what would that look like? How would we formulate that? Mm-hmm. But it was something interesting to to get to discuss in class and debate about it and to hear what other students have to say because it was a very like discussion based classroom and dialogue based so I'm learning from each other, which I think is also something you don't come to be exposed to till college. Yeah. So it was a very it was very fascinating in that sense to get to learn from your own peers kind of like that funds and knowledge kind of kind of mindset in the classroom yeah yeah so you would say that there wasn't a pro Aslan agenda it was a topic of discussion and then people were encouraged to debate and because it was fostering critical thinking skills it wasn't one stance was better than the other I think it was I would say it was definitely pro Aslan but it but it had room for debate were there any Central American students or sub South American students who were participating in these conversations about Aslan? That's a really good question. I mean, I don't think I ever took like a poll of the class yeah. and like asked everybody like, hey, like what's what are your my what's your migration story? Yeah. But there was a diverse set of students in the classroom in the sense that it wasn't like that I, from my from what I remember all Mexican students, mm-hmm. while that was the audience that it tar- like I feel like it targeted and, and exposed students who wanted to take these courses. There was a lot of white students in the classroom, which I was surprised about. Mm-hmm. There was also African-Americans in the classroom. But I don't know if Central American, to be honest. I feel like it was probably a very small amount. But it could have been like of the times, like or just the fact that I never asked anyone. Yeah. But I, I mean, I know there was like a mix, mix differently, people who are biracial. And um, so I, I'm sure that there was. I just, I'm not positive. Yeah. So what was the student reaction to the ban? Um, well, obviously not good. <laughs> I think there were, it, it was an emotional time, I think, because it wasn't like they were banned from one day to another. Mm-hmm. It was like, a, it was a long fight to get them to be in the, in the TUSD district to begin with. 
it began from the 1960s the Chicano movement and then like oh, wow. and that uh, kind of created like waves everywhere including in Tucson and then that led to many people fighting here to incorporate more relevant education in this community that represented the population. <laughs> this is my cat. <laughs> you can hear her when she scratches. So um, where was I at? <laughs> you said that it took a while to integrate uh, the curriculum. It was inspired by the 60s Chicano movement. Yeah, I think it... That, like, it was nationwide, but also took off here in Tucson. Yeah, I think that that created a lot of waves here as well, and there was a lot of protests locally here too. And then many people, many people started getting together and realizing that this is an important education that should be in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. And so then, I think it was from 1997 and onward they fought to get them in there, and they finally were incorporated into the school system. And so it was under ethnic studies. So. Under ethnic studies were other other perspectives of education. I know African American studies, Native American studies, but what people don't know is that Mexican American studies was specifically targeted out of all of the ethnic studies courses. So those courses also existed, but many people were fearful that if they jumped in to try to protect Mexican American studies, then their um, edu- their um, classes would be up for a target as well. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of a lot of things that were happening. Do you know why the Mexican American Studies course was targeted in particular? I I feel like that could be like a whole other side conversation in itself, but um, I I think it has to do with a lot of po- politics, and I think that since there is such a huge population of Mexican Americans, Chicanos in this part of the region of Arizona, and many politicians fear you know Latinos getting into positions of power, um, and they You're saw voting or voting and getting involved and I think these courses were encouraging a lot of that mm-hmm. and I think particularly these courses were doing that that yeah. they got fearful about governance right yeah government mm-hmm. yeah so te- learning about the government through the Mexican-American lens yeah. um, what does that mean can you explain a little bit I was curious about what you meant when you said that yeah I mean from the way that I took it it was just learning about how how the government the U.S. government affected Mexican people um, and also learning about I think the general American concepts of like the Constitution, you know, all those things re- regarding our government, uh, legislature, how our branches work, and things like that. But incorporating all these other things through the lens of a Mexican American and valuing our perspective mm-hmm. in history. So I think it was just that concept in itself was probably way too radical for a lot of white politicians. Yeah, I think they immediately saw say, it. Really immediately, important. yeah. Um, and if you if you read the language of the bill that was created to ban the courses, in the bill it says that these courses cannot promote the overthrow of the U.S. government. And they wrote that language specifically because they felt that Mexican-American studies was promoting these kind of things. Because we were talking about something that, I guess, didn't make the United States look in a very positive lens. Okay, yeah. um, so... And that's land, right? That's like... That's like very yeah, radical, too. I, I, feel, I feel like, like yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like... I don't know when exactly this discourse started, but I know that there's just a group of people who are really afraid of yeah. the concept of Aslan because they interpret it as a directive to overthrow the U.S. government and start yeah. like a new Mexican government. Yeah. Which I think is really funny because I think a lot of, I think especially like younger activists or people in the our generation actually don't want literal Estland of a Mexican government. I know because I know that there's a lot of folks, we don't need to see our liberation tied to a nation state. Mm-hmm. You know, we can form collectives and we can live communally amongst each other without needing to utilize the violence of the state. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do think that I think there's a sort of nostalgia with a lot of people yeah. where they want to revert back to what they believe was the ideal form of living. Right. When I think that any or sort of concept is has room for growth and has yeah. room to evolve. Nothing. Things were developed for a certain need at that period in time. And we need to evolve with our times. I feel like a lot of issues right now is that we're not evolving with the, our people and the migration of people mm-hmm. or people's people's needs and necessities in our in our day and now. We need to find other ways, but we're going back instead of finding ways to take these concepts and integrate them into a, a new best way to suit our needs. Yeah. You know? So can you tell me about the direct action that you engaged in to try and get Mexican-American studies back in the curriculum? Yes. So I feel like I need to ch- like go back a little bit yeah. to explain like led to that action because it was there's so much um, that was happening. So my junior year, I would say I wasn't like super, super radical or super activist yet. I would say I was kind of just coming into understanding all these things and mm-hmm. the place that a lot of Mexican people have played in the U.S., um, the U.S. and history. Um, so I was kind of just like absorbing a lot of information at that time. And there was protests happening then. And and that was like 2010. And one of the biggest protests that was happening was against, was against SB 1070, which is the bill that was created in Arizona or was in, put in place in Arizona to basically make it okay to racially profile brown people mm-hmm. in Arizona, mm-hmm. which only further affirmed militarization and the oppression of brown people here mm-hmm. in Arizona. And, and obviously this, this is like scary because it's a starting stone to then start it everywhere else. Um, so that was happening when I was a junior in the TUSD schools. And so that was a really scary time. I know a lot of my peers were extremely scared to go out, to, to drive, to even just be in the car because you don't know if yeah. they're going to ask for your papers or mm-hmm. what's going to happen. We, people were scared even if they had papers. Like, no, yeah. We don't know. I like, get nervous driving through the interior checkpoints. Even yeah. though I know I'm a citizen and I know yeah. where I was born and everything. I yeah. just, it freaks you out because yeah. you hear, because Border Patrol is a rogue agency. It is, yeah. yeah. And they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, you could go to a coffee shop, which I go to coffee shops all the time because I love coffee. And there'll be Border Patrol agents that will come in and, like, very nonchalant. It's a sunny day in Tucson. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go drink my coffee and then leave and... And you, I immediately just like, you know, freeze up and it's, you know, I'm a citizen. I have that privilege, but I can only imagine what it's right. like for someone who doesn't have that. So it's very much, it's like a presence mm-hmm. for sure here in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really. And SB 1070 like worsened that. Exactly. It made it much worse. Um, it just affirmed already very oppressive legislature. I, I mean, oppressive, sorry, more of. Police oppressive people. regulations yeah. yeah i think it was like they were already doing all of these things but now it's affirming like oh like now we like we've given the green light to do this exactly yeah. um, so that was happening my junior year and i was kind of just pulled back like it was very scary and just being really upset and not knowing what to do and how to get involved and engaged and all of the things that were happening there was a lot of protests there and so i started like thinking like okay cool like i i want to find a way to get involved and then my senior year i was taking uh, which is also known as Rasa Studies. Like, the courses were also known as Rasa Studies, which is way too radical for also white politicians. <laughs> they use that to try to eliminate the courses, too. What did they say? Um, they call them Rasa Studies, and it's like, um, it, they were just freaking out over the word and the phrase, like, La Rasa, like, being race, and, oh, like, they're trying to 
I don't know, cleanse or something. Or I don't know. They were just freaking out. Um, so I was t- my senior year. Um, we start, you know, we started hearing a lot about how they're trying to to basically remove these courses. But it was more of like a okay, like are they really gonna do it? Like how how is that possible? There was a lot of fear, like. This bill we never thought would pass, SB 1070, came into passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're trying to pass this other bill, which was known as HB 2021, which is the ban on ethics studies. And so we were, it started to seem like this is a possibility. This is something that can occur. The teachers were doing their own lawsuit and trying to uh, say that this bill was unconstitutional. So that was going on. And then, but students weren't really involved in the conversation. They were not considered or at least not considered, but just they weren't being perceived as an essential voice mm-hmm. or that they could provide their, their vo- own voice on their own. They had to kind of be like placed or put or like kind of used more as like a... Props. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of students were like, I, I want to have an opinion and I want to be able to talk to my peers and, and be able to hold a stance through a more student organized perspective, not through the perspective of white politicians or the perspective of teachers who mm-hmm. fear for their jobs and obviously fear for like these classes being banned and that, and that represents so many things of course and mm-hmm. it's problematic mm-hmm. but I think a lot of students didn't feel like their their voices were being considered as, as much as they should when they're the ones who are going to lose the courses themselves. Right. So then I think a lot of alumni of the program, a lot of like community activists and allies of the program started to get together and said we need to do something so they started doing weekend classes to talk to students about what's happening and because i don't think we couldn't really talk about it in class um, because they were we were already so so under a microscope or at least the teachers were Mm -hmm. anything they said could be used against them when they're trying to ban the courses so there was a lot of this weird atmosphere that was being created where we're chilling yeah, like you're trying to learn all this education, but you're also aware that you're under There's microscope. limits. Yeah, yeah. there's so much, so, so much you can do. So um, I remember being invited because I think I was somebody who was kind of, kind of like vocal in the sense that I had I had things and I felt kind of ways. And yeah, the teacher was like, all right, like if you want to go to this weekend kind of workshops that are happening, I would, rec- I would encourage you. And so I went and I met a lot of alumni of the program and we... What were the workshops? A lot of the workshops were just learning about revolutionary vocabulary or was just oh, learning wow. about what it, what does oppression mean? What is like sexism? What is patriarchy? So this wasn't a part of the official not a part Mexican of the American official. studies curriculum. Yeah. So okay. but like really diving into it and really seeing how these are, these are things that are affecting our community and that are happening right now as they're trying to ban these courses. Because a lot of the concepts we couldn't learn in schools because the politicians were already on their backs. So... You, you were limited to how how deeply you could go into a topic because if you made the United States look bad in any form or way, you were being too... You were setting You're too many emotions. You're a terrorist, exactly. Because, you know, the U.S. has always been perfect and never has done anything wrong. Yeah. Right. It's not like white men are terrorists. Right. Who are gunning down schools. Exactly. So I think there's... I think that in itself is like a huge issue, like... I don't understand why we can't learn all the facets of the United States and learn and grow from it. We're just we're just so scared to look bad in any way or form, but you just can't grow from that. So I just think that these courses we're trying to provide that, like let's learn from what we've done wrong, mm-hmm. and find and find ways to make a better tomorrow with this, with all of the history in mind, mm-hmm. or at least attempt to grasp grasp some history mm-hmm. to 
to make a better future. So I was going to these workshops and a lot of kids from all over the district were being invited from different schools. Mm-hmm. I was a part of Rincon High School, so I was learning from the classes there. And there were students at Tucson High who came to the workshops. There was also students from other districts that were coming. I know Sunnyside District was coming as well. And Why would that be if the ban was only specific to Tucson? Because the some courses, from what I remember, they... I guess they were being sort of implemented there, not in the same way, but just in a different format. And I think it was more of like, if they're banned there, then they'll never be expanded to go to my district. Okay. So it was like students were realized in solidarity and also realizing like, we need to join the fight so that they're not removed and then we never yeah. get them. Like our fates are connected. Exactly. I feel like probably someone from Sunnyside to speak on that. I'm not sure on all those details, but I do know like folks from Sunnyside got involved in Pueblo. And so we had a lot of different students that were engaging as well as alumni of the MAS program and then also um, community activists. So I started going weekly to these workshops and started learning like what was going on and like more of the knit kind of gritty things. And I know specifically that there was a Martin Luther King march. And after that meeting, we found out that they were working to officially make the courses elective so that they would eventually be removed. Because once you make courses elective, students are not going to want to take two government courses or like two like history courses. So we're like, it's like a slow way to dismantle the courses. So we heard about this. And so this came a little later, Mm -hmm. but... Students were like, we need to form a group and we need to start organizing and figure out ways we can combat the, the, the process to slowly eliminate these courses or to eliminate them eventually. Mm-hmm. So then we, I know I wasn't at this meeting, I forgot why, but I didn't, the, the march happened and then right after the group was formed. And then several meetings later, we discussed like what we want to call the group. And I don't know why, it, I forgot like why we called it. I don't remember exactly why we decided to call it UNIDOS, but the acronym is United Undiscriminatory Individuals Demanding Our Studies. We were in high school. It's a little lengthy. <laughs> Non-discriminatory. But yeah, I know. I remember in high school thinking like, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah, we get like, it's really like, it gets our message straight out there. But now I'm like, you know, I don't know. But we were in high school, I think, at the time. So I feel like it makes sense for like our current, that mindset. Oh, yeah. So... So you formed Unidos. We formed Unidos, and then we started going to board meetings um, and talking to board members, doing call to the audience, and asking that they don't eliminate these courses, that they keep them the way they are. We started talking about why they've benefited us, why they're important, and we even met with two of the, a lot of the board members. We discussed like how they need to represent us and fight to keep them in place. And we, we went to a lot of meetings. We held a lot of like public forums outside and started to get the community involved and exposed to what was happening. Mm-hmm. And we did develop a lot of like momentum. And then the day that they announced that they were going to vote to officially uh, start dismantling the courses, we like, what are we going to do? Like, there's something needs to happen. And I remember being at a meeting on Saturday discussing this with other other high school students my mm-hmm. age and we were so like totally led by high school students yeah primarily led by high school students and alumni of the program Got so it. like people who had just graduated mm-hmm. and we were just talking like what are we going to do like what can we do to prevent this meeting from happening or to stop this vote and i think it was like a lot of like joking at first like <laughs> oh wouldn't it be funny if we like set off a stink bong and like a stink bomb mm-hmm. and they had to leave because it smelled so bad. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like we could just clap so loud that it's super annoying <laughs> and they'd have to leave. 
So we were just like bouncing different ideas and it was like, you know, based in humor, but kind of serious as well. Yeah. We were really thinking, how do we stop this vote from happening? Exactly. So then we, we just kept talking about it. And then finally someone as a joke was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we like chained ourselves to the board members chairs? And we were all like, ah, that's so funny. Like, sure, like, we could do that. And then we were like, but wait, like, why can't we do that? <laughs> we really could. We really could do that. Like, that could be effective. How would that look like and how can we do that? Mm-hmm. And so we started talking and we started trying to figure out how we could make that possible. And I think the meeting was, like, a week away or something, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, or at least, like, not too far off. And so we started thinking about, like, how would that look like? So if you if you look at the TUSD board and, like, their dais and how many people are sitting on the board, there's about, like, nine people who sit on the board. So we were thinking, like, we're going to need, like, nine people to be willing to chain themselves. So we had to find... To chain to each chair, and we have to find people who are willing to potentially get arrested. Because mm-hmm. chaining yourself to a barber's chair is not no light activism. Yeah. So, so we were like, this is gonna, this is potentially could lead to serious consequences. And a lot of people were worried. I do remember people being mixed status, so mm-hmm. like some people were concerned that this could affect their ability to be in this country. Mm-hmm. So we were we were having a lot of discussions about who could be a part of this protest. I was super concerned. My concern, my parents were going to kill me, really, at the time. Because you're in high school, you know. Yeah. And so I was did like, what's going to happen? Did your parents have papers at the time? My, my, yeah, my dad is a naturalized citizen. My mom's a resident. I mean, okay. it was also a different political time. I think yeah. I'd probably be more concerned now if I had done this act, kind of action. Yeah. Because then maybe there'd be some sort of light on my parents. My mom was like a resident. Who knows? In this time, maybe. I don't know. They try to take it away or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know. But I was just concerned that I would freak my parents out and they're going to think you could never leave the house. You're like too crazy or something. But I remember thinking it's super important who else is going to do it. And mm-hmm. I do have this privilege where I have status. So I think I like kept running back and forth with people like, I don't know if I can do it. Should I do it? And then somehow it all worked out. And I think like the night before we were still scrambling to find people to do the, the chain in. And we, we like figured it out. And then that morning, we went to to like a community center, and we like practiced how we were gonna chain ourselves to the bomber chairs. So we like lined up like nine chairs, mm-hmm. and then we practiced chaining ourselves like in unison together, like running up, and then how much time we'd have to do it in before like somebody tried to stop us, mm-hmm. and we tried to keep it like under twenty five seconds. And so we had like these giant did chains. You do it? Yeah, we had to keep practicing until we got it right. Uh-huh. Um, and then we we did, but it's still freaking scary because oh, you're like, like you're practicing. That's one thing. Yeah. Doing it is another. So and you're nervous and you're anxious. At the board meeting. Yes, there were. There's like a police officer that's sort of like if you go because I now they're meeting in different location. They're meeting at like a school now that's on the east side, but they used to meet at ten ten which is like in kind of close to downtown. It's by Tucson High. And you'd go in and there, the dais was right there. And um, the police officer was like by the by the desk. The de- Oops, by the... Yeah, so the police officer was right by the dais. So we, we were aware of that. Like there's probably a police officer here. It wasn't like super secure though, where we were like, oh, like, they're going to stop us really quick. But there were there were people there that could prevent us from taking the action. So... We started planning for it. We did it. We like let. By that point, we developed momentum as an organization, as a youth coalition, to to be able to like kind of broadcast to community. Like it's really important that you go to this meeting, and it was happening on April 26, 2011. So we broadcast it. I remember I had a really good relationship with my teacher. 
I think it also has to do with the dynamic of the classroom where I remember he told me like, if you ever can't come to class, I understand things are happening. Just send me a text and and that way I know. And so I remember texting him and I was like, hey, Hey, I can't come to class. I have to chain myself to the board chairman's chair. I didn't actually say (laughs) that particular statement, but I did say this to him. I said, I said, hey, I'm not going to be able to be in class today. I'm sorry about that. But it's really important you tell everybody in, in the classes that they come to the board meeting today um, after school. It was like on a Tuesday, I believe, on April 26th, 2011. It's super important that they all be there. Please let everybody know. What time did you get there if you couldn't be at school that day? So basically I ditched school that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is what I had to do to make this happen. I didn't tell my parents that I was doing this. And for some reason that day... I remember my mom feeling motivated to drop me off at school. And I was just, it's just like, why is it today you want to drop me off? (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, oh no. And I remember particularly for some reason, one of my uh, friends was also going to be part of the chain in and she was with me. And so my mom wanted to drop both of us off and we're just like, oh, why she want to drop us off? Like, does she know? I was like, she can't know. But like, it just felt like she did. And so... We were like trying to get dropped off like a little away from school because then it would look super sketch to like go to school and then like get out. Yeah. So I remember like trying to convince her to drop us off a little ways off and then she did. And then we like walked away from school and got picked up. And then that's when we went to like go practice the okay. day of. And that's okay. when I sent the text to the teacher to be like, hey, like please make sure everyone comes to the board meeting. We went to like a community center that oh, we, okay. we were having meetings okay, uh, okay. and outside of school, outside of like a TUSD mm-hmm. and so we practiced there and we prepared and we sent out release like a uh, to the media just like a notice like press release like Unidos is going to provide demands for the board and that they shouldn't eliminate the courses it was very organized and Super we had impressive yeah and we had speakers student speakers to discuss like our reasoning for doing this and like and they would speak up and we had like selected mm-hmm. students who were going to speak uh, so yeah it was like very organized and we had to wear like this giant t-shirts over our chains because we had them tied around our waist um, oh, so we put so them, no one could see them exactly i mean I, i'm sure i would kind of set up some alarms if we're walking around some chains you know yeah and there were so many people at this meeting it was like packed there was people there were so many people that you, there was people like in the hallway of the building people, there were so many they were kind of going into the streets mm-hmm. and it was really packed and i remember we'd gotten there a little too late so we couldn't sit in the front, and our intention was to sit in the front so it'd be easier to get to the to the dais, mm-hmm. to the desk. Mm-hmm. And so we had to sit sort of in the back, which I was like, this isn't good. It's going to be harder to get to the dais and easier to get stopped because mm-hmm. there's only one way to get up there. It was like one opening, mm-hmm. which is by the police officer. Mm-hmm. And we had like a, our lead, our lead person who was, when they saw the coast was clear, we were going to go up. So we were all wearing our baggy shirts with our chains underneath. I know at some point during this process, like somebody's like chain slipped a little bit and they like we hit it. So everybody was stressed. Everybody was panicked and like hoping that it was all going to go well. Were you chained to each other? No, we had to do that once we got to the chairs. Yeah. And then we chained ourselves to the chairs and like linked up. So that's why we had to practice beforehand. Yeah. So it's packed. It's noisy. At any point, the board members are going to come out and sit in their chairs and it's not going to be good anymore. Yeah. So we're yeah. trying to move it along, but there doesn't seem to be an opening. But then I see the lead person who's supposed to keep an eye out stand up oh and then they go up and then, well, we have to follow. Like yeah. that's how it goes. And yeah. I remember I had this folder in my hand and at that point, 
I was like, I can't hold this. And I just threw it. I just kept, <laughs> I walked up and we all just bam. And then you're just like adrenaline the whole time and just change yourself. And people just start freaking out. People like stand up and start yelling and cheering. And I'm just like trying to hold it together, trying to put these chains on. And I noticed that one of members of Unidos who was up there, he's just screaming and yelling. And, and yeah, it just, and it happened. And it, did we did it. Did everybody chain themselves? Yeah, everybody was able to chain themselves one one of the one of the members of Unidos though who chained themselves was knocked down by one of the police officers. You can I don't know if you can see you should be able to see it in the video if you look it up. He like pulled down and then but but like the police officers were just so caught off guard but what happened that they were just didn't know what to do. They were just so disoriented and so they like knocked him down and they were just didn't know what to do and then they just kinda let us be and then he stood back up, properly chained himself, and then we were in the clear. And then we just started chanting and it got a lot of national attention mm -hmm. and we did not expect that it would receive that much attention our goal as an organization as a youth coalition was just to get the community a community's attention and to get everyone on board to protect and defend these classes because they were so meaningful mm -hmm. and so empowering to everybody in the community mm -hmm. so we never thought it would go higher than that so the fact it got more attention was just oh wow we just didn't prepare for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I think there were just more eyes in the classes. And and I think it was both good and bad. Good because more people were aware of this injustice that was happening. Bad in the sense that now they're going to make us examples, like the classes examples to, to keep people of color down. I felt like a lot of politicians were like, now like this proves our point. Like look how, look what they're doing. Like this is proof that they're trying to overthrow the government when really we're just trying to defend the right to learn about our people yeah it's allowed within the constitution exactly so it was like a, a convoluted of of messaging from like the white politicians in the state and then you know a lot of youth at least the good thing was a lot of youth now are being provided a platform to speak mm -hmm. but i think they still made it a point to make it seem like youth were incapable of organizing into producing these kind of actions on their own. Yeah. So they did, I remember at one point, they called Unidos like pawns, like teachers were using them to get their messaging their across, forward. yeah, move their agenda forward. Uh, so and that was extremely frustrating and, and we were like, this is ridiculous, like we organized, we like we trained ourselves to be informed on how to how to organize and how to take action, how to be in, involved in civil disobedience. Yeah. We, Super I remember, impressive. yeah, did. and we practiced also like what to do if the police were to arrest us. We all knew that we're probably gonna get arrested. How to react when police do arrest you and who to contact. And we had it all set up. It was extremely organized. Were you arrested? No, and I think the reason why we weren't arrested was because it would have made TUSD look really bad to yeah. have arrested their, their students. Mm -hmm. It would have probably even further politicized and like provided more attention to the to what was happening that they wanted. Mm -hmm. They would kinda wanted it to go as quickly go away as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I think as soon as it happened they were just so shocked and they were like, Okay, well maybe we could arrest them. Is that the best strategy? And there was a meeting preceding this one. So they weren't able to dismantle the courses that day. We were able to stop the vote from happening. Mm -hmm. So it was great. We were like super happy. We were like, great, now we can see what else we can do to keep this momentum going. And the following meeting was on May 3rd. And that meeting was crazy because that one was, they went to the nines to make sure it was 
protected, gated the entire building. Wow. They had helicopters above the building. They had oh bomb squad. They had a bomb squad. They had like they put in metal detectors because you know we had chains, so now they were like scared somebody else was gonna try to do something, and so they like went to the nine protect. I guess this institution trying to enforce the span, and it was it was insane. You were like. Or you're just trying to defend being having having the right to learn about our culture and history, and this is the way you react. Mm-hmm. I I think that was in itself like very eye opening and yeah, and they were criminalizing your political dissent, which you have a First yeah. Amendment right to voice your opinion. Exactly, and that meeting, we all the people who chained themselves were at that at that board meeting as well. And um, I remember we were sitting talking to the community about like our demands because we had we had listed our demands during that board meeting, and then we listed them again. And there was a lot of people, there's a lot of community there. Like hundreds of people came to that, to that board meeting. And I remember one of the community organizers of Parabonidos Unidos came up to us and said, hey, there seems to be some police undercover looking at you guys and, and pointing out photos. And wow, I think it's too dangerous. Scary. It's too dangerous for you all to be in the limelight. We recommend that you all kind of just separate and like burst. And so we were like, what do we do? Like, I've never been put in this position. I'm a student in high school. I think I was like 17, 18 years old at the time. I'm being criminalized for defending education. And it's dangerous for me to be here and speaking up about it. And that particular boarding was very... There was a lot of brutality. Some people got pulled by the hair, pushed. Wow. Students. Uh, Students. Teenagers. Teenagers, as well as teachers. And a lot of, like, parents were there, too. What was the outcome of the vote? I don't think at that point they didn't vote officially dismantle them yet because there were so many people at that point also standing up and speaking out during calls to the audience they weren't even able to really hold the board meeting because people were speaking up and like silencing the board mm. we didn't go inside the board meeting that time we like stayed outside and there was a lot of things going on outside because there was police and SWAT it was ridiculous they didn't officially dismantle the courses until like January so it took like a, a year for them to be officially dismantled after April 26. So it was April 26, board meeting 2011, and then tw- and then January 2012, they eventually banned the courses. And that was like a, an extreme de- defeat and mm-hmm. very sad for the community. We were so disappointed in our board, who's supposed to be representing our best interests, our best interests as a community, and all the fighting and everything that took place to like keep them alive. Mm-hmm. But I do remember Unidos particularly was like, we'll forget them. Like if they're not gonna teach us our edu- teach us relevant education like this, then we're gonna have to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I remember we held an Unidos teach-in. So we had like this day where we were, we encouraged students to come to this teach-in. We're gonna have professors from the UA come, community teachers and also students teach about why these courses are important and also teach courses throughout the day really and we choose we ask that you come and choose community education over tusd because clearly they don't care about what's relevant to to our to our growth mm-hmm. so then we had that and that created a lot of issues i know we had people saying like wow you're encouraging students to ditch so yeah a lot of things are going on and we were trying to find ways to still organize and still keep these classes alive mm-hmm. and i think a lot of good things came from these courses but also there was a lot of obviously bad things we we lost the courses and i think a lot of there was a lot of activism and there's a lot of burnout too and doing mm-hmm. all this work and mm-hmm. it can be very taxing on you to like meet weekly and 
making these putting these things first over a lot of times our own well-being which is a very very problematic thing that i always see in movements is like we like put uh, we're like martyr complexes Mm -hmm. always in activism Mm -hmm. and i think i was a very young activist and didn't understand a lot of these things so i was just kind of constantly meeting constantly going to all these board meetings and you know or meeting with orgs and collaborating and it was very taxing mm-hmm. very taxing and very also like you're you're experiencing like trauma like these courses were removed you see like how you're being police treated brutality. in your community police brutality so, so you're dealing with this but you're also like i have to keep going because i have to i have to organize to save these courses to save my community mm-hmm. you forget you need to breathe and you right. need to take care water. of yourself drink some water yeah Cut exactly Exactly, cuddle with your cat, your dog, whatever. Snake, if that's what you like, I don't know. <laughs> so, are the classes still banned now? Yes, yeah, so the classes were eliminated, like I said, in January 2012, if I'm not correct. And there were, it gets a little complicated because these courses were allowing for TUSD to be in compliance with a desegregation order that's, on, that's over them. So they were, they were having issues with basically maintaining schools segregated. White people mostly in a school, you know, and then Mexicans in another school. So they were trying to help desegregate. And so there were programming that was allowing desegregate the schools. And one of one of those the programs that was doing that was ethnic studies. It was helping desegregate the schools. And when they banned them, that program was no longer filling that gap or helping fill the gap. So they had to come up with a way to fill the gap after having removed the courses. So then what they did is they created new courses, which many people call them the whitewash courses. <laughs> and it was, they named them culturally relevant curriculum, the CRC courses, which are now in place. Mm-hmm. And they teach uh, Mexican-American studies and they also teach African-American studies, which is great. I think, you know, the Mexican-American studies courses were not perfect. They needed more improvement. They were just a start. So I, I'm glad that they were integrating other, other perspectives but I just don't think they were they were being properly teachers were being properly trained and like not anyone should be teaching mm-hmm. African American studies or Mexican American right. studies, and that's what was happening. I after I graduated from the U of A, I became a college advisor, and I remember going into those classes and like it was being taught by a white teacher who was forced to to teach it because they were they're being they're like the TUS teacher was like, hey, we have to fill this gap. We need someone to teach it. You're kind of our only option. Good luck. And they, they had to teach to students these classes. What happened to the educators who were giving the classes before the Me- when Mexican-American studies did exist? What happened to those teachers? Were they fired? Yes. So after they were banned, basically preceding that, the director was also fired. And so and the teachers were basically disbanded because no, that program no longer existed. And then a lot of the teachers who taught Mexican-American studies went to the CRC courses. So some of them are teaching that teaching those courses and are attempting to, in many ways, like bring them back, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. There's like a debate whether they're back or not that you can, I'm sure like depending on who you speak to, they'll say like, we brought them back. They're what they used to be, but like we lost so much in the process. Like we're not allowed to call them like Mexican American studies because it's too radical. We can't call them Ross studies because that's too radical. We, we can't we can't call it what it is because it, it scares too many people. Mm-hmm. I think that in itself is a huge loss. But a lot of teachers would argue that at least they're, they're there in some form and yeah. we're able to teach it in the way that we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I heard about this ban because my thesis advisor served as an expert witness in the litigation around it. Did you know about the lawsuit? Yeah, which which so in 2017, a federal judge permanently barred Arizona from enforcing the 2010 law that yeah. had banned American city that had banned Mexican American studies in Tucson schools. Yes. So that happened recently, and we were super happy. We we're like, great. Now it's been now it's been said that these classes were were passed in place under under like racial malice, mm-hmm. and they're unconstitutional. Yeah. And. And we were like, great, they're going to bring the classes back now because it's been proven that the banning was racist and shouldn't have existed in the first place. And but really what happened is like, yes, we were we were told that they were racist, but nothing came into place to like re-implement these, this program. Like oh. once you dismantle it, there needs to be somebody to keep people accountable to bringing them back. You have to enforce it. You have to enforce it. And nobody did that. And who who's in charge of doing that? Mm-hmm. Is TUSD the ones who banned it supposed to be the ones who keep mm-hmm. the district accountable after they did that? Who's in charge of doing that? And then there was a lot of debate over the fact that, well, they already exist. Like you got CRC now. The culture relevant curriculum exists and, and, and the, co- the courses are back. Mm-hmm. So... Nothing ever went into place to of to really try and reintegrate the co- the courses that were originally existed. This um, is why we can't get our salvation from the courtroom because this happens kind mm-hmm. of a lot with even though a court can order something, mm-hmm. like you said, there still needs to be a person there to enforce it. And a lot of times the person who is meant to enforce doesn't. Yeah. And then the court isn't equipped to like put a gun to someone's head and say, you need to do this. Yeah. That's not how the courts work. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because what did that win really mean if in the classroom we still have these kind of watered down CRC courses? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember going to the board meeting and being really excited because this was passed. And we're like, yes, like we have finally been validated or led with racial malice, like whatever. And you go in and they're like, you know, it, they're back, like CRC is back. So like problem solved. And um, it was really disappointing. I was like, there's no justice. And it, it's very disheartening. And I think a lot of people were really just like upset. And it doesn't feel like there's much you can do to hold everyone. Like I, I can't go and start holding TUSD account. It requires much, a much higher power or somebody in the district. Or, or, I mean, I was hoping the courts would get involved, but that's mm-hmm. not, yeah. Yeah. Courts don't like making decisions that require them to be heavily invested in tracking people over time. Mm-hmm. So, like, something like this does require someone to be tracking it over time because it's not going to change overnight. You have to rehire yeah. some folks who might have left. You got to look at the curriculum and strengthen it to what it was again. Yeah. Also re- revamp it so yeah. to have it be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And all that takes time. It and does. If there isn't anybody at the district who's willing to implement that, then it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I was reading here that the Mexican-American Studies program started in the 70s after Latino and Black students filed a class action school desegregation lawsuit in federal court against the school district. Yeah. I do remember hearing about that as well. I was like, wow. I mean, it's extremely inspiring. You're like, wow, like students took this action and they're the ones that help start the, the process to, to have these courses exist. And then, yeah. and then they are eliminated. 
But um, you continue the fight to preserve it. Yeah. And you also continue the fight to spread that education because that's Definitely. What, I think that's why your teachings were so powerful. Yeah, so I know that's something that as Unidos, we, we worked really hard to keep alive. So we were like, okay, like the institutions aren't willing to make our courses relevant and uh, justify that they're important. So then we're going to do that. And so a lot of what I did on Unidos and my goals and my missions was to keep the courses alive and also expand and make them better in, in the way that it looks like for us as students who are organizers. So I helped create the student empowerment program in Unidos and we did after-school programming for youth who are interested to learn about what community is doing and how they're organizing to fight social injustices. And we had programming going on from, I think we started it in 2014, and then we had we started running it every year. And we would hold programming for three months, and students were, we outreached six schools, and then we had them come and they learn about different organizations doing different things too to improve the community. And it was very educational and a lot of students like got really involved. I ended up stepping down just cause I'm older and the whole point of Unidos was for it to be youth led. Mm -hmm. So now it's run by youth who were involved in the student empowerment program, who I was able, privileged enough to expose mm -hmm. and mentored and who I then learned from mm -hmm. as they were growing. And now they're leading Unidos and they're doing youth activism. And the goal is to keep the kind of torch going in that sim similar format. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of orgs who like try to work that way too in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's really um, important to yeah. continue building leadership. Exactly. After yeah. your time ends. Yeah, so, and I also after needed you that. become 27. Yeah, I won't be 27. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's time to pass on the torch. <laughs> and I think that, I think leadership shouldn't be only one person. Agreed. It needs to constantly be moving around. And the goal was always to keep the spaces autonomous. So there wasn't a leader maybe more of like a really good facilitator or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and making sure that we're constantly getting new ideas and really reevaluating how we're growing and how we can be better, yeah. both in education and both in the way we like practice activism, which mm -hmm. isn't, doesn't always, isn't always effective, but it's always a work in progress, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, mm -hmm. how do you feel now that you work in direct legal services where you have a much different position than you did as an activist, right? In a way, you're kind of, you're complicit mm -hmm. within the immigration system in a way that mm -hmm. you really weren't as a student, especially because you can choose to whatever field you're in. So how do you grapple with these differences now looking back at such a formative time period in your life? It's very difficult. I... It was really hard to switch from like a FSU kind of mindset, so like fuck shit up mindset, <laughs> to like to like now like I have to abide by. It's not direct legal services. That's <laughs> not the mindset. Yeah, no, definitely it's not. It's not. It's uh, it's more of like finding the loopholes and like strategizing to like work within the system that's but broken in a very, and like, respectable, quote unquote way. Exactly, and in the work that I do, I have to like collaborate with ICE so that kids can be released. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I would have never thought I would do. Mm -hmm. It's more like abolish ICE. I, I shouldn't exist. And here I am trying to work with them so that hopefully they'll release the kids and yeah. be like, pathetic, which is so hard to do coming from like the perspective of these things shouldn't exist. And, and I still feel that way. So of I think I, I think it, you have to take it day by day. Yeah. But also like, I think for me is like remembering that I'm working in the system but remembering that this is not the goal to keep this alive yes. and to keep it functioning. The goal is to disrupt it so eventually it's no longer something we need. Yeah, that's and what Yusin and I said on the episode that I just released is 
we both said that we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. Like, yes. we do not want to be immigration lawyers forever. Mm-hmm. We want to get to a place where we're not necessary. I compl- I'm with you. I'm always thinking that when the organization I work for, which does deportation defense, mm-hmm. is constantly growing. It's upsetting to me. And I, I'm like, why are we growing? We shouldn't be growing. We should be decreasing in size. We should be losing jobs. We shouldn't be needed more. We should be needed less. Right. And if we're being needed more... That means that things are getting worse. Yeah. And things are getting are. worse. Yeah. Things are terrible. More uh, kids are being detained, right? We were just talking about yeah, that. Yeah, more kids are being detained. Don't even get me started with family separations. That was a extremely tra- traumatizing process as a as a legal advocate, yeah. seeing four year olds who like don't even know what their don't parents' know their names, parents names. names. So they're just like, I'm looking for mom and dad and, and you're just, there's this is heartbreaking. It's horrible. So this is like a, a crisis in its all its facets, you know, it's It's a crisis not only for the person who's living this terrible migration story where we're not we're not being sympathetic to people's traumas or prosecutions back home but but also like what it's doing to everyone around around them who they're who they're being helped or not being helped by and like how it's destroying minds and 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 hearts Mm -hmm. and i think it's doing very very negative things that we don't really know how to measure like how do you measure these this kind of impact yeah. aside from like the fact that you're you're traumatizing this kid like there's like impact it's like a circle of impact you know yeah all around every kid or every person who's detained or imprisoned yeah i was talking about this with a former coworker. how do you measure the impact that daniel ochega's presidency will have on this whole generation of nicaraguans because it isn't just one youth that's being affected like it's literally a whole generation of people mm-hmm. and how do you heal a whole generation of people yeah i completely agree so this is maybe a pointed question but denise do you feel like there's a responsibility within Mexican-American studies to focus on the geopolitical relationship between Mexico, Central America, and the U.S., especially during this current moment where the southern border between Mexico and Guatemala has really become like an extension of mm-hmm. the U.S. border, and yeah. Mexico has imported a lot of policing and immigration enforcement tactics from the U.S. Yeah. So, and at this point... Mexico's nation state is a lot stronger in terms of money and in terms of its relationship with the U.S. than the Central American nation states. So what do you think about that? That's very disturbing. First and foremost, it's, it, it's, there's no words to describe, I think, how unfortunate it is that, that Mexico is basically replicating all of the atrocities that the system's creating here and then mm-hmm. they're bringing it over there. Mm-hmm. I think if... Mexican American studies courses still existed. My goal would have been that I evolved with the times and it and it became more inclusive and more perspectives. Um, I think that it's something that need, you need to be very intentional with too, because yeah. you can't just want diversity to be taught without having informed people to teach it. Yeah. So I think you have to be very careful. Yeah, like we want to have all these perspectives included in different narratives. But we can't just do it in a half-ass way. Mm-hmm. We have to be very careful and we have to be making sure we provide trained and informed practitioners 
um, to do this, to do that kind of teachings. Like teaching is extremely difficult. Oh, yeah. It is, it is a profession that's super undervalued, mm-hmm. and we Underpaid. talk about it all the time. But I don't think people understand to the extent of how important teachers are. Teachers are the reason why you decide to, to like graduate or you don't. It's the reason why people will die or they don't. Because mm-hmm. if you don't teachers graduate, inspire a lot of careers. Exactly, people. I was inspired by a teacher to become a writer. You know, and That's so beautiful. if I didn't have that teacher, I don't know, maybe I would have taken a different route. I don't mm-hmm. have no idea. So I think that teachers are extremely valuable. We have to be we have to have more informed and culturally diverse teachers. Yeah. And I think if in an ideal world, I would say that we would form some sort of culture, some sort of cultural studies that is all encompassing of many different Latin American studies and from different angles. And I think. I think the courses were created originally because there was an inf- there's an influx of people who already live here who are Mexican American or Chicanos, and they felt it was relevant for that time. But where migration is occurring in such a flux, and people are coming from all kinds of different parts of Latin America, we need to evolve, and and we need to be really careful with the way we do it, and be really, really look for the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes we just don't do it right. And yeah. like, and we don't care that we don't do it right. We're like, at least we're getting something, and that's not good enough, you know. Yeah. Education shouldn't be like, at least they're getting something, because that's what the mindset we're in. Like, mm-hmm. at least like, at least there's some teachers. At least some of them are good. Yeah. Even if there's bad, there's no books to read, or there's hardly supply. Like, at least there, at least there's an institution that holds classes, you know. Yeah. We don't want empty representation or tokenization. Like, exactly. If you're gonna talk about Central America, you need to have people who actually have studied the country exactly have studied the history who maybe understand the culture themselves because exactly. they're central american yeah and i think that's really hard because there actually are I th- there's only one central american studies department in a university in the u.s and it's at cal state northridge mm-hmm. and i think there's like a few others that are developing but yeah. how are we going to get trained teachers if even at the collegiate level there's no departments that are focusing on yeah. central america exactly yeah and then and the way I think the problem is too is the way that you can get more people those positions to exist and more people to be able to fill those positions is that we do better by students while they're in school. Yeah. But if the schools are not doing well and they're mm-hmm. not functioning as they should, then we only deter more people from graduating and from filling those positions and, and helping those exist. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this like paradox that we're it's creating. The chicken or the egg problem. Yeah. So because we need investment in the K through twelve level but we also need investment in higher education for folks who do want to become professional teachers yeah and there's so much we just i feel like we just kick people out so easily from institutions and there's just a lot of work that we need to do in education to to make it better but to go back to your question i don't think mexican american studies was enough i still think it needed a lot of work and that i think the central american experience is extremely valuable and important Especially now, especially now. And I do think that would have been something in an ideal world would have also existed. And I think it wouldn't have only been the responsibility of the Mexican-American Studies Department, but Ethnic Studies Department or people in charge of making sure these, these, this form of knowledge exists, as well as the people who are in charge of assuring there's these institutions available. High schools should assure there's culturally relevant or culturally understood courses there should be more institutional support for mexican-american studies for central yeah. American studies for ethnic studies african-american studies i mean in african-american studies is like that in itself is like a diaspora of like 
not allegedly like Caribbean studies, like mm-hmm, Afro Latino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like so much that needs to that we need to be informed about and we're just not there yet at mm-hmm. all. And we just need to do so much work. Yeah. Yeah. You can keep me going all day with education. <laughs> so I'm gonna stop right there. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna ask you if there's anything else you wanted to say because I asked you all the questions I wanted to ask. You know, I feel like I feel like it'd be sad to end on a note where like they were bands, like they don't exist anymore. I think one of the things that is really incredible... Well, we did say that the, they won the lawsuit. Right. That's a good... Definitely a win. But I think one of the things that's really incredible is a lot of amazing people came out of these courses. Mm-hmm. And they're doing, like, um, a lot of work. All I would say all, many of them have graduated, gotten PhDs, have gotten bachelors. I see on, like, Instagram or social media. And people are finding ways to to replicate and promote social justice in all kinds of different spaces. Mm-hmm. So while, like... It feels like the wave is over, like the wave is going, mm-hmm. and we're still, it and it's continuing. Different. It just looks different, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's something that's really powerful that I don't think we take note of or we measure when with with people who graduated and came out of the courses if they're doing really interesting and cool things. Yeah, and I think we did mention also that the Mexican American Studies courses were proven by research to increase graduation rates. Yeah. So we, you know. We didn't mention that because I, I think I think we proved its value regardless of that. But like for the people who care about the numbers, it improved graduation rates. It did, and it also improved AIM scores and incur- it was people who were in the courses were more likely to go to to higher education. Mm. So those are also really important things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Denise. This was a really great interview. So. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I was like. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Denise. I wanted to remind y'all to follow us on Twitter at Radio Cachimbona, Instagram at Radio Cachimbona, and Facebook.com at Radio Cachimbona. And I also wanted to thank our newest Lit Review patron, Shelby Larson. For the next Lit Review, I'll be chatting with Alex Miller, a fellow Stanford law grad and a current badass immigration attorney and a person who grew up in Tucson. And we'll be talking about Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. So if y'all want to check that out, then please become patron subscribers. The link to the patron is on the Instagram bio. Bye, y'all.